In her short story, The River, Flannery O'Connor tells the story of a child who drowns while trying to baptize himself in a river. After this shocking story was published, someone asked O'Connor about her grotesque depiction of baptism. And Flannery shared how her goal for her readers was to remind them of how powerful baptism actually is. That the Bible really does tell us that it involves the death of the old self and the resurrection of a new self in Christ. So when people criticized her for such a startling depiction, O'Connor replied this way, In the land of the nearly blind, you need to draw really big caricatures. Well, in John chapter 6, 51 to 58, Jesus draws a really big caricature to shake us awake. You see, as I read the text, I want you to listen to the choices of words and images that Jesus uses. John chapter 6, verses 51 to 58. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying this, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and then died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. We have become so familiar with these words that we have forgotten. We have forgotten how offensive Jesus' words actually were to that crowd. In fact, in the text, seven times Jesus says we are to eat him. And four of those occasions, he also refers to the drinking of his blood. Why? Well, think of what is happening here. Earlier in chapter 6 of John, Jesus fed the 5,000. Now, after Jesus satisfies their hunger for bread, in verse 27, Jesus challenges them to look for, quote, the food that lasts for eternal life. Well, the crowd then asks what it is that God wants them to do. And Jesus tells them in verse 28 that God the Father wants them to believe in the one that God sent. Who is that? Jesus. But that is not enough for the crowd. They want something more than that. They want a super miracle. So the crowd asks him, what sign are you going to give us so that we may see it and believe you? Hmm. If you caught it, two times in John chapter 6, Jesus refers to the bread that came down from heaven. Well, this is a reference to the manna that the Israelites received in the desert when they had no food. Remember that? 
In fact, every day without asking, God would send manna, a bread-like food that would come down as dew and it would settle on the ground and the Israelites were to take just enough for that day because if they took more than they needed, it would spoil. And they would wait for God to give them more manna from heaven the next day. Now, as amazing as that miracle of manna was, the Israelites would grumble. They say this in Numbers chapter eleven six: there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. You hear the grumbling? I'm tired of this. Well, Jesus takes this image of manna from heaven and he uses it to draw an analogy between himself and the manna. Now, in the Old Testament, what the Israelites uh, were to understand about the manna was that it was God's provision of this bread from heaven that it was about more than simply filling their bellies. It was about more than just giving them something to eat. The manna was intended to teach Israel to trust God. Well, trust God how? By trusting God's word of promise to meet their needs for daily bread in the wilderness. God was giving himself to Israel by giving Israel his teaching word. Giving Israel his teaching word. Now, I like the connection that Trevin Wax makes. He writes this, Jesus came from heaven into the wilderness of the world amidst a spiritually wandering people. Jesus then went further than simply associating himself with bread. He said that whoever would come to him would never hunger again. You see, just as God used manna to teach his people to live by God's words, Jesus takes that manna image to show that he is now God's teaching word that people must live by. He is the word that they are to receive if they truly want to satisfy their hunger, not just physically, spiritually. What was Jesus? What was the teaching that Jesus brought to the world? I like how Burton Kaufman puts it. He says it this way. Christ is to the soul what food and drink are to the body. Without food and drink, the body dies. Without Christ, the soul dies. You see, if the Jews fail to believe the teaching words of Jesus, they will not experience the eternal life that Jesus is offering. Now, let's just stop here for a moment because this raises an important question. Is belief in Jesus' words about his death, burial, and resurrection Really that important to, for eternal life? If I simply believe in Jesus, isn't that enough? Well, we actually see someone wrestle with this question. You go back a few chapters in John chapter 3, and we meet Nicodemus, and here's a man, catch this, he knows the Bible well. He lives an exemplary life. He admires Jesus. He believes that Jesus is a miracle worker. He acknowledges that Jesus is from God. He even calls Jesus rabbi, which is a term of great respect. Much of what Nicodemus knows of Jesus is correct. But Nicodemus falls short of having faith in Jesus. Here's how Mark Moore describes the discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus. He writes this, At the time of their meeting, Nicodemus did not have faith in Jesus. Now, he had a fondness for Jesus, but he did not have faith. The conversation began with an important statement by Nicodemus acknowledging that Jesus was sent by God and that God was with Jesus, John chapter 3, verse 2. 
He even called Jesus rabbi, which means teacher. Now some, some see this as a statement of faith, but it was far from complete. Nicodemus didn't quite elevate Jesus as Jesus' disciples had. Nicodemus may have called Jesus rabbi, but he never calls Jesus the Lamb of God. He never calls Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, or Savior of the world. Seeing Nicodemus' hesitancy to believe, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he had to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. Now, Nicodemus' response was literal. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? John chapter 3, verse 4. This intellectual and literal response says much about his view of Jesus. You see, Nicodemus had a belief that it is like, that is like many Christians today. It's a mere intellectual assent. But his heart, his heart was not open to the spiritual teachings that Jesus was offering. Now, the only record of Nicodemus's response indicates his disbelief. Although he acknowledged intellectually that Jesus once was from God, Nicodemus was not willing to follow Jesus fully. Now, here's something interesting. Nicodemus is only mentioned two more times in the Bible. The first is when he stood up for the rule of law during a debate among the Pharisees about the arrest of Jesus. Do you remember that? John chapter 7, verses 50 to 51. Then the last is when he came by night again to help a secret disciple, Joseph of Arimathea, bury Jesus, John 19, 39 to 42. Nicodemus's brief appearance in Scripture portrays him as an ally of Jesus, but not as a true follower of Jesus. You see, it's easy to look very Christian and yet to fall short of the very requirement placed on us to be saved. Faith in the teaching words of Jesus that he was to die, be buried, and rise again, and that we were to believe in him for eternal life. Well, as it was for Nicodemus, so it is for the Jews in John chapter 6. There's no faith in Jesus if there is no belief in the teaching words of Jesus. And this is Jesus' point in John chapter 6. So when we hear, eat the flesh, drink the blood, this isn't about the Lord's Supper, but it's a reference to the teaching of Jesus. Specifically, that he must die and be a ransom for many. If they couldn't believe this teaching, they had no part in his eternal life. Now, with this background, listen to the text again, John chapter 6, 51 to 58. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? The connection we just made to the manna? Well, the Jews in Jesus' audience, they do not make that connection. Instead of thinking about the manna in the book of Exodus, Jesus' audience is thinking about the law of Moses in the book of Leviticus. For in Leviticus, it forbids God's people from eating dead flesh. So when the crowd hears Jesus' command, eat my flesh, drink my blood, 
They hear Jesus encouraging unholy eating. And so they get upset. How does Jesus respond to this outrage that the crowd has? Well, he raises the level of disgust even more. Look at verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, they have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. Now catch verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Catch this. Not like that which our ancestors ate, manna, and then they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. Did you catch it? From verses 51 to 53, Jesus uses the common word for eat. This is interesting. Then in 54, seemingly in reaction to the questions being raised by the crowd, Jesus now uses a different word for eat that is quite rare. This new word for eat means this, to chew with your mouth open. The very thing we teach our kids not to do. In fact, picture a cow chewing its cud with its mouth open. Picture an elementary school child smacking a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in their mouth. Her mouth open, opens wide between each smacking chew. Can you get the picture? Well, Raymond Brown says this. He says that this image is intentional on Jesus' part. Because if you chew with your mouth open, there is no doubting the food that is in your mouth. You cannot pretend to be chewing something if people can see into your mouth. To show what is in your mouth is to reveal the actual substance of what you feed your life upon. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus is asking an important question here. He's basically saying, open your mouth. What teachings are you feeding your soul? We could ask it this way. What shows do you like to watch on TV? What personalities do you follow on social media? What books, what blogs influence how you see the world and others? What teaching do you feed your soul? Can you name them? Now, why is this so important to answer? Well, let me ask you another question that will hopefully help to explain it. What did you eat for dinner Friday evening? I know, a crazy question, but stick with me. Like the food you ate and drank on Friday, the teaching you chew on, the teaching you chew on and that you will digest, it will cling to your bones. It will flow through your veins. The teachings you eat and drink will become the life you live. Just like the food you ate on Friday has done for you, it has become the life you live today. But here's something unique about Jesus' teachings. Jesus' teachings, they do something different for our souls that the world's teaching can never do. In John 6, we discover five benefits that Christians receive in believing Jesus' teachings. 
Let's just go through them quickly here. Verse 53, a result of believing Jesus' teachings is that it places life in us. Jesus' words are life in us. These gross words and images Jesus uses, Jesus tells us what they mean so we don't miss his point. In verse 63, Jesus says this, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and what else? Life. Jesus' words are to our soul what food is to our physical bodies. His words bring life to our souls. Next, in verse 54, believing in Jesus' words gives disciples a status, that of having eternal life. In eating and drinking in Jesus' words, disciples receive both life now, but also life forever. Now, to have eternal life, it's to receive the same type of life that God possesses. And here's something else that's interesting. Tied to this status of eternal life, we're also given a promise in verse 54. It explains that this eternal life in us is a promise that we will rise from the dead on the last day. You see, the bodies we have now will one day be buried in a casket. But because of our belief in Jesus, that body will be raised from the dead when Christ returns. This is a promise given to only to those who eat and drink the sacrificial death of Jesus, those who live by Jesus' words. Now let's jump down a little further to verse 56. As we feast on Jesus' words, there's another status disciples of Jesus we receive. We abide, or we remain connected to Jesus. Now don't miss the word picture here in verse 56. In this eating and drinking of Jesus' teaching, we become one with Jesus. We take him in and he becomes a part of us as we become a part of him. Now, how can someone tell if they're abiding in Jesus? From scripture, we see this word abiding used quite often and it produces the following qualities. It produces love and obedience, John 14, 15 to 17. Verse 21, verse 23, abiding bears the fruit of life that looks like Jesus, John 15, 1 to 6. Abiding creates unity among believers, John 17. Uh, Abiding, in abiding, we walk as Jesus walked, 1 John 2, 6. We love one another, 1 John 2, 10, 1 John 3, 17, 18. Uh, Abiding, uh, we abide in the apostles' teaching. In abiding, we refrain from continuing in sin, 1 John chapter 3, 6-9. We confess Jesus as the Son of God, 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. By abiding, we dwell in love with one another, 1 John 4, 16. Besides being one with Jesus, there's an additional promise. Look at verse 57. We are promised disciples of Jesus will live because of Jesus. Notice how he layers this all. The the life God the Father gave Jesus, the Son, is passed down to Christians. We live because Jesus lives in us. And the life that flows in and out of the Trinity now flows in and out of us. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, 
To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, a true disciple is one who lives Jesus' teachings. Finally, in verse 58, one final promise is given. Because we eat and drink Jesus, here's the layer of meaning again, we will live forever. There is no other teaching on earth that can feed our souls this way. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. What are we hungry for? You see, this whole discussion in chapter 6, it began because people were hungry. To be hungry is to, is to have a felt need for food, to have a felt need for drink. You see, hunger moves us to find something to eat. So it raises the question, have you learned how to hunger for Jesus' teachings? Have you learned how to share your work, your family life, your personal life with Jesus? Have you learned to operate in dependence, in dependence on his wisdom, his grace, his forgiveness of failure to bring all your life back into connection with Jesus? See, this is what Jesus is after in us, for his teachings to control our living. If you're hungry with the realization that Jesus is what you have been missing in your life and you're ready to feast on his teaching, his body, and his blood, Jesus is inviting you to come to the table. Jesus invites you to feast on his death, burial, and resurrection that you may have eternal life. It's time to eat. Let's follow Jesus.